Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to Music Is Not A Genre, the interview edition. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Whether you're watching or listening, don't forget you can support this podcast, patreon.com slash musicisnotagenre, or at anchor.fm slash musicisnotagenre. And as always, my public hub is on youtube.com slash Nick DiMatteo. We have a very special guest. This week, we are joined by the great Lou Rawls. Let's take a listen to his most famous song and one of my absolute favorite songs of all time, You'll Never Find.
find Another love like mine Someone who needs you Needs you like I do You'll never see What you found in me You'll keep searching and searching Your whole life through Oh, I don't wish no bad luck, baby But there's no ifs and buts on that song i can't get enough of it it's from the time i heard it from when i was a kid i never tire of hearing that and that brings me to today's guest as i said uh why don't you sir introduce yourself to everyone this is lon dorsey and people think when they're listening to lou on that particular song on reverb nation that it's lou rawls and when i was singing in dallas a lot of people thought that it was Lou Rawls. It sounds so much like him. It's amazing. Yeah, we sound alike. We looked alike. And uh, the people just, they just loved it. Well, now I think something I'd love, you know, people to know uh, that your people know, but my people don't know and other people (laughs) is that the reason why that's such a special thing is not just because you look like him, you sound like him, you yourself are an excellent singer Because you actually knew Lou Rawls, isn't that right? Yes. He and I uh, knew each other very, very well. I have several pictures of him and me together. One was at the Houston Arena, and that was the thing, I guess, around the 1990s. And uh, I used to go to all the concerts where I could get free tickets. So he just (laughs) took a liking to me there, and I, I never had to pay for tickets. Oh, my God, that's amazing. Yeah, man. And and <laughs> so um, I had a natural voice like Lou. And- you really do. You sound so much like him. It's it's incredible. And I, I think what what uh, amazes me is that, you know, I had done a podcast on one of his, uh, his Christmas album last year and connected with you on your Facebook fan club page for Lou Rawls. And I know you do a lot of fan clubs. For him, and I had no idea, you know, that you actually knew him in real life, and you have a lot of stories to tell about him. Oh yeah, uh, and in fact, I, I really want you to annex yourself to the fan club because uh, you're one of the young fellows that he was. I guess I would say that you're one of the young fellows that was coming up at that time, and so 
you have a place right here and I have a place right here and Lou has a place right there. And we can, we have a chance to enlighten people. God, yeah. On the facts and everything. Yeah. Because frankly, at your age, it's a little fuzzy. And my age is, you know, it's, it's right there. And then maybe somebody else, you know, it's a little fuzzy because they, they don't know exactly what was going on, but I knew what was going on, but I missed it by 13 years. Wow. And yeah. 13 years. Yeah. See, Lou was, Lou was in the service, I believe in 1957, 58. Okay. And I was in the service 67, uh, 68. And so when he was in the service, he got out and continued his career. But while I was in the service, <laughs> you know, I got back and the guys were gone. Oh, wow. Yeah. They left, they left the planet. Uh, I mean, they were they were getting involved. Sam Cook was Lou Jr.'s godfather. Sam was murdered in Dallas. Everything that happened, it, it happened for a reason, but it just seemed like that once Sam was was gone, Lou went into Capitol Records in okay. Los Angeles. I came home, nobody around. And then I was singing in church for a while. And I knew something was up because all of the members that we had, they said, you know, he sounds just like Lou Rawls. And uh, I was doing a, a song I don't even remember what it was, but it was, I think, a Bill Gaither tune. Yeah, Bill Gaither. And uh, it sounded like Lou Rawls singing it. (laughs) But I I didn't know all about Lou then. That was in 67, 68 when I got out of the military. I found out about Lou at that time, and I didn't really know him well. But I knew I liked his music. So you didn't know him before you went into the service, and then you met him after you got out of the service? I kind of did. Oh, you did? Okay. I, I kind of did, you know, because it'd be impossible for you. But, but Austin, where I got out, Austin was a, what do you want to call it? Maybe a, a town where you did, uh, it wasn't a, a big blues town right then. It was country. It was converting to blues. I see. Okay. Because everybody was converting to blues in the 60s. Yeah. And I was doing Nat King Cole. I was doing Brooke Benton. And I was doing Sammy Davis Jr. Those were the three artists that I kind of sort of did. But when Lou came along, man, I tell you, it was all over because that was my natural voice. I didn't feel comfortable singing rambling rose you know <laughs> right not quite your style yeah yeah i didn't feel but but lou was just really right on for some of the things that he stood for some of the things that he represented with his music how he talked about tobacco road well uh ladder milk did tobacco road but the poverty the all the things that went to make up the blues, mm-hmm. that was where I was coming from. So you could relate to where he was coming from, too. Yes. Yeah. 
So yeah, but for right now, yes, that was that was it. That's incredible. When you find an artist like that that you know you can connect with and someone that close to you is just it's a gift. That's a real gift. Yes, and then the people all around South Dallas was the real deal. Some clubs were the Plush Pub, the Flying Fox, Chocolate City, just various clubs. It was a lot of clubs. Aranda's Place. And these were all clubs in Dallas for blues music or what kind? South Dallas. South Dallas. Yeah. I mean, it was full of clubs. (laughs) That's awesome. And my mother had small cafes, lounges, clubs. When I was little, I lived in a club. Oh, you're kidding. You did? Yes. I did too. Yeah, clubs on one side of the building and, and the the residential on the other side. Oh, my God. That's amazing. And the you went in through the garage door. <laughs> you know? Wow. So you actually lived in the building that had the club. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And and so many things that happened, like stepping fetching, it was really just, I mean, we were living history and didn't know it. Yes. And um, that time, yeah. I, I used to go down to the public library and all the records I could get with Billy Holiday, with Ella Fitzgerald. Mm-hmm. And they these were thick sleeve records with real um what would you call them? Um you just had to see them. These were real thick manuals where you had five or six records. Ooh, and you couldn't yeah. damage them because they were in such sleeves. Oh, okay. So this was yeah. like a box, a box set of, of vinyl yeah, records. Yeah, like maybe seven or eight albums. Oh, incredible. And uh, they were in mint condition. And I listened to all the greats. I just say that in in view of the time, all the greats. Then when Ella, Sammy Davis Jr., all these people came out, there was a time in there that was 13 years. And that was Lou Rawls. And he came on like a storm. When was that? That was sixty. Okay. It was timeless because you didn't know what he was really doing. He was, he did so many songs. He he did, my goodness, everything was Lou making it his own. Oh, yes. God, yes. That's what I love about his voice. Yeah. And I had a voice then. It's starting to... um, you know, everything must come to an end. But <laughs> yeah, but uh, I think it's still there. When did you do that recording that we heard at the beginning of the, the interview? That was about six, seven years ago. OK, yeah. yeah. Pretty recent then. And uh, Lou was, uh, see, I don't want to talk much about the family on here. Sure. At this time, because this was a time when... People said, well, Lou didn't do right, do this, do that. You know, he didn't do things. But you have to understand that that he was all there was for a while. In what sense he was all there was? Yeah, because when Louis Armstrong, Ella Fitzgerald, people like Sarah Vaughn were trying to concoct their thing, 
Mm. Lou was coming out with this sweaty, don't give a shit type thing that had to do with being highly upset. I mean, if you listen to the songs that he did and you knew where he was coming from, South Side of Chicago. Oh, okay. You know, the cold was so cold that you could see holes through the cracks of the walls. Oh, boy. God. And he'd say, well, I had to put on my goloshes. It's goloshes. Yeah, yeah. My goloshes because (laughs) my grandmother didn't play that stuff. And she said, boy, I'll try my best to kill you if you tear up my bedclothes. Right. He had his shoes had buckles on them and the shoes would tear up the linen. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm reminded of the things that my mother did. And we were in Dallas in a housing project, but there was a lot of love. And that's where the blues came from. It was a tempered between love and and hardship. That's a, such a great way to describe where the blues comes from between love and hardship. Yeah. Yeah, you can feel it. And any good blues song, you can feel that. Yeah, I mean, it's given the fact that even though the 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 times now are really hard where they're just shooting black people just right, left and sideways and coming mm-hmm. up with cockamamie stories, you know, even at that there's something that that's there and we actually own it. First, it was the spirituals, which they call Negro spirituals, and then it was the blues, mm. and then it was so when people making a, a last attempt at love, a last try, last chance, and uh, Lou came along and tried to show people what it was about, and I really I started doing these songs. I had a uh, set in my home with uh, various recording instrument Mm -hmm. speakers and so on. And I would sing a song 20 times. And it it was just, it couldn't be beat. Lou Jr. said that you sound just like my dad. (laughs) Yeah, wow. And he said, I can't tell it. It was an error. We didn't know it was happening. And I, I never did know. Yeah. And you look back on that now. How do you, how do you feel? Do you feel like it, it made, you know, made a difference? Or what, what are your feelings about that era? I feel like it went too fast. Mm. I feel like the music that I was capable of doing went by so fast. And then rap music came up. And I was just, I wasn't ready. Because... That's- my music and Lou's music were similar, and I didn't get a chance to understand what music meant to me. So, because that, so like there was a certain kind of music that had been around for a while, and then at that point in time, things were starting to shift away from that. And yeah. maybe before you got to a point where you felt like you could live it and love it, absorb it, and have a solid, you know, existence. Everything moved over to Poof. disco, hip hop, rap, and and all of that. Yeah. Poof. Yeah. <laughs> Poof. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I'll record something called. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to do it on your show because they'll be done with it. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll have to think about But anyway, everything happened. One minute I was doing, Louis Armstrong did his own music so much that he he left no stones unturned. So, I mean, he turned it over and over and over and over. So it wasn't much good doing that. But I felt like if I had a chance with Lou's music, where I could have a time to develop my own, mm -hmm. because everything takes development. Well, some guys came into the clubs and they said, uh, hey, man, you ought to be in the studio. Man, you, you really should be in the studio. I, I said, who wants to know? <laughs> I don't see any big name people. And you have to watch out for these people because they'll they'll be trying to, to, to do something with you and they're nothing. Like so, they're trying to make they're trying to make money from you doing music and they don't do anything for you. Or what do you mean? No, they they you, you look at it like, OK, if you know, if you know, Gamble and Huff. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a big. Deal. But then these I'm from guys, Philly. So I yeah. Yeah. These guys were nobodies and trying to get a contract. But I didn't know they were nobodies. Oh, yeah, I see. OK, you don't know. No. And so if you sign something with somebody, they can tie you up for years. And I did some things with various artists. When I was in Austin, Texas, the um, Iron Gate Club. Okay. Very little swanky place. My mother was a genius. For all she knew, she got me into the gate. I was doing Rambling Rose. I was doing Johnny Mathis songs. Yeah. You wouldn't believe it. I could do Johnny Mathis songs, the high pitch. Yeah, that's a very different voice from Lou Rawls. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But when Lou Rawls came along, I, I jumped on the train. Well, you know, it's funny because I'm listening to you talk. And even your talking voice, it has that quality that's like a Lou Rawls quality. It's... It, there's a fullness to it and it and it you know resonates in a certain way you could tell that it would the music would fit you so well yeah the thing about it was that in the cafes and clubs back then everybody was looking everybody was watching the women would be watching who's that that was a hotbed of things like in in Dallas you go to the club you say who is that guy right there who's that guy right there Who's Don Diego, Roscoe, A.D. Hall, all these guys. Who, who's that guy there? Well, when you came out on stage, I was playing because I didn't even feel like I wanted to sing. I was playing around. I walk off the stage in the middle of a song. I didn't know what recording artists did. I didn't know what was what. I didn't know that people could stand right there and be great. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't know it. You think because you grew up in that world of the club that you kind of took that for granted that you you didn't you you were like, oh, I'm just playing. It's not that big a deal. Yeah, I did, because I didn't want to admit that I might not know anything. Oh, and and the artists around there. See, I knew Johnny Taylor. He and I went to the same club all the time, and I opened for him. I didn't know Johnny Taylor was Johnny Taylor. 
<laughs> yeah, you knew a lot of people. Yeah, all of, all the guys were writing right there. Yeah. One of the biggest guys that disappeared on me when I felt like like he was more than than I thought. That was Mal Johnson. He was more it was more to him than I thought. Mhm. And he would he would make deals for me and everything. Ernie Johnson, people like Ernie Johnson, who just an itinerant guy, just somebody who's always on the turf. And now he's older now. And um, it's all over. I mean, he can sing the blues, but we were we were at a place called uh, West End in Dallas and T-Bird Gordon show band. He was a big name, but I didn't know it. I looked up and he was one day he was in Japan and the next day he was back in Dallas, you know, so I didn't know that kind of stuff. Yeah. So Lou was all I had. And you met him. What year did you meet him? Well, when I met him, I didn't know him. You didn't know who he was. Yeah, I met him, but I didn't know him. I just heard people saying, hey, Lou, you know, (laughs) yeah, I didn't know him. But when I met him the second time, that was about 1980. Oh, okay. And and uh, the Fairmont Club, Fairmont Club, the Fairmont Hotel knew me through public relations, and so Betty Klepper said, uh, "Why don't you come to the concert, Lou Rawls concert?" And I said, "Well, I bought five tickets, and uh, nobody showed up but me." So they <laughs> they took my tickets. They took the tickets and gave me my money back for. and I was sitting there by myself. I thought it would be pretty nice, but I was by myself. And so Lou, and and I I had a chance to see him in action on a small set because that hotel was like 100. Oh, okay. Maybe 200 people soaking wet. And uh, people didn't want to applaud. And a guy took his girlfriend's hands and held them down where she couldn't applaud. Why? And I said, that's all right, Lou. We got you, baby. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) So I was cutting up and he made it through that set. It's it's just, I I tell you what it was. I tell you what it was. It was uh, jealousy. Oh, man. Yeah, it's jealousy because that was a small the Fairmont was a huge hotel, mm-hmm. but it had a small club scene just for the people who were recording artists to come through. So you think the people in the audience were in music and they were jealous of Lou Rawls? Uh, I think there might have been some people in, in there like that and others who oh. just came to the to the deal. Oh, but, wow. Yeah, but yeah, they were definitely jealous. Which is crazy because that by that point it's 1980. He'd been around for a while. He's practically a legend. You know, he's already you know world famous. Yeah, yeah. just enjoy I mean, him. While he, you know? while, while he had time, <laughs> and they're coming to see him. I mean, yeah, he he had that, and and he uh, he was at Adolphus Hotel, staying at the Adolphus, and I went over to the hotel and uh, I called this room. I said, Lou, are you awake? He says, well, I am now. (laughs) And uh, I wanted to talk with him. So we went over to Sambo's 
Sam's Steakhouse. His name was Sambo, S-A-M-B-O-L. Oh, okay. And uh, I was very polite. So I wasted time. Instead of me going over there to his table, I waited till he got through. And then he was ready to go. And he told me that he was going to work on my music and do some things. He saw an opening, and he never got a chance to do that. So that was just a little, the lagging. When he got ready to go, he had to go. He, he's gone over here, over to London, to here, to there, everywhere. Oh, yeah, sure. And so I felt like that <laughs> I kind of got jilted. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I felt. Yeah, of course. But I was I was pretty famous then in the Dallas area. Oh, nice. L.A. Okay. So I was really kind of taking it in place, and he was gone. Yeah, yeah. Then he passed away. Yeah, too young, too. <laughs> yeah, see, but then I had the Lou Rawls fan club. I had the club at my uncle's club, which was the Shell in Dallas. But it was before the internet. I sang the songs on the jukebox, in front of the jukebox. Oh, nice. Yeah, and people liked it. We had a small club in the oyster bar upstairs. Oh, wow. One bar bar. (laughs) You know, one bar. And uh, my uncle ran it like Hitler, you know. Oh, great. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I'm telling you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Cut out the shenanigans and don't do all that kind of stuff. Right. So, uh, Buddy Gilstrap. This is where I started singing Lou Rawls music on the right around. And uh, when was this? The the seventies. Yeah, seventy four, seventy five. Mm. And uh, because I was in church, you you're church singer, right? Yeah, yeah. So maybe because I got into blues and jazz, I went out. And when I went out, that was at Uncle Buddy's. And so it was a nice, nice little jazzy set. So I could still go back home and do that. I, I mean, you know, I was just trying to be something. Yeah. And you got one foot in the church and another foot on the blue scene and another foot with bands. And you know how confusing that can be. Yeah, you're trying everything, right? <laughs> yeah, you're trying at everything and maybe nothing works. Yeah. But then when you see it working, man, you know, I mean, I never would have thought like right now that the Lou Rawls fan club, that I would be the prognosticator of that. Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't think it. I never thought it. Well, why, why do you think it happened? You know, Lou said, hey, man, why don't you do your own fan club? Oh, I said, no, I said, I, I think that this fan club is what you need to do because you don't have a fan club. You know, you had something over there and something over there, but it wasn't really anything that I would call a fan club. And I started getting fans together and people together and all kinds of things. Of my joy. I didn't have any reason to do anything else. And uh, I don't know if I really thought I was about anything or not. For you yourself. You mean. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, then when I looked up and saw that it was a possibility, music was changing. Uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. 
Was this around the 80s or earlier? Yeah, it's around 79, 80. Yeah. Plus, I was into uh, marketing and public relations and advertising. I had an ad agency from 1977, November 4th, 1977, and I was making pretty good money. And, you know, (laughs) you have to get it while you can get it. Yeah, so, so <laughs> wherever was, it comes from. <laughs> I was making pretty good money from talk shows and radio talk shows, TV talk shows, and I wanted to do that in case I failed on music because I didn't know enough about music, and my music man was gone. What did you, you do on the talk shows? Business and law. Oh, okay. And uh, if you look up on business and law on Google or something, or, you know, you'll see Lon Dorsey on business and law. People said, what, what, what are you doing on business and law? I said, well, hey, you got to make some money some kind of way. Yeah. So, right. <laughs> so I did, I did law where lawyers, you know, it was a law show and uh, it took off. I mean, it, it satisfied me for years. So. It took off. I didn't have any problem with it with my own brand. It's all you know, yours. So, yeah. yeah, it's all mine. So when On Business and Law came on, it's me. This was and on so, a, a Dallas station? Yeah, Dallas station. And then I was in California and then uh, in oh, wow. Las Vegas, all over Dallas. Of course, I think somebody hated me in Dallas. I, you really got to hate it. You got to hate a guy really in Dallas, you know, try to bring him down, but they couldn't because I kept switching stations, <laughs> you know, and, and so it did did well for me. Yeah, but, that's good. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. So uh, that kind of pulled you away from your music pursuit. Yeah, it did. I don't understand that. When I was at in Los Angeles on the east side, there's mm-hmm. a club there on the east side of... Um, I can't call it, but they were really happy to, I think it was like a Hawaiian guy. And they were really happy to do something with me. But like music, it goes that way. You know, one minute you're in, one minute you're out. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Especially back then, things were changing so quickly. There were so many artists who just couldn't, you couldn't shift like that. Something that was in six months ago was all of a sudden out. What are you supposed to do? You know, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And then I, I, I said, well, I can go gospel, but they didn't pay. Oh, really? Okay. No, they said, oh, the Lord will see you through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he's not paying the electric bill, you know. As a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I was. I'm. I'm. The, I'm the. I'm the worst thing. When it comes to fame, one band leader said, Roscoe, I'm going to do this on you and this is going to work. He said, because Earl doesn't like you. Earl knows who I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> he said, but at Trisha's club, that was a big club then. Okay. But it was fairly new, but it was big. You can you could make it there. He didn't like me. I think because I went with his niece. I didn't know I was going with her. She didn't say a thing to me. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but anyway, he did, he barred me from the stage. Oh, wow. And and uh, T-Bird Gordon said, if he leaves, I leave. 
the first artist that ever stood up for me, other than Lou Rawls. And he he took me to uh, other places, convention centers and all of that stuff. And and, and I was a real deal. That's amazing. I, I didn't know it. I was afraid that somebody might not like me. <laughs> oh, yeah. I understand that. Like yeah. Billy Holiday said, they don't like my music. <laughs> <You Yeah. know? laughs> but Lou provided me a chance. And I told his son, Lou Jr., and I tell him all the time, hmm. I said, you can be anything you want to be, even at 54. This COVID crap, I said, just do a cut. Just do a cut, one cut, and that can tell what this period is. One cut. That's all yeah. you need. That's true. That's true. Yeah. You never so, know which one, but yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, now that is the question. <laughs> which one? Yeah. This one? This one? Uh, this yeah. <laughs> and age is, age is going on at the same time, you know? That's why it's hard to hold on. You 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 really don't realize what you have until, you know, time passes. You don't know what you got. My uncle passed away, Buddy Gilstrap, at the, mm -hmm. at the oyster bar in the shell upstairs. And uh, there that went because Charlie Gambles was a guy who had a restaurant back in the Prohibition days. Oh, wow. Okay. And Buddy... Upstairs was where the mafia went, and he had a little bar up there. Mm. So every, everything was turning fast, and I was loving it. And all of a sudden, I got old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you blink and you get old, right? <laughs> I got old, and yeah. still there's, there's – I, I want people to know that it's okay – I don't think Lou Jr. knows what he what he actually is capable of yet. That's amazing. Yeah. At that age, so it takes a while sometimes just to know. And it must be hard to be the son of somebody who's such a legend, too. That's why he's a late bloomer. Mm -hmm. He's waiting for the time when his dad hiccups. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. No. Junior has some cuts out. Oh, he does. I wondered about that because I read up on you and saw that you had been working with him and know him. You've known him for a while, but I wasn't really sure what he did. He has one song called Doing It For Love or Do It For Love. It's got a nice little beat to it. Uh, it's online somewhere. I'll hook you up with him. Yeah, I'd like to hear it. You know? Yeah. Is it a, re is it a recent song or when did he release it? Yeah. Oh, about a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it comes and goes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think that I think that that the Lou Rawls fan club, which I do want you to to uh, do something on, mm -hmm. especially you. you I, I do all your Lou Rawls things that you have and, and uh, load them on there so that people can see them. Oh, great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. See, I, I told guys. Over and over and over. It's Lou Rawls Fan Club. If you start doing shows and all these things that don't have anything to do with Lou Rawls and you expect me to put it out there, that's not what I'm doing. 
All you got to do is do Lou Rawls and I'll put it on there. You cannot exclude him and have me working for your butt, you know, <laughs> to do that. <laughs> no. So so I told him, I said, uh-uh. I said, now, you see, Nick DiMatteo says Lou Rawls. Lou Rawls. That's all right. you got to do. Right. And, uh, and it'll be on there. It's not hard. It's not, it's right there in the name, you know, I mean, yeah. what else would it be about? You know? Yeah, that's what, that's what I told him. I said, Lou Rawls fan club, Lou Rawls, do something on Lou and I'll do it on you. And so you're hoping that with the, with the fan club, you want to kind of spread the word and get more people back to knowing Lou Rawls music and how great he was and all of that. Yes, because while I was doing it, he was fading and mm -hmm. I'm fading and I want people to know his his legacy. Lou Jr. says that he wants to have his father's legacy. Didn't you, wasn't there, I read something that you, he was working on a biopic or something like that, and he was going to make a film about uh, his dad? Yeah, uh, well, mm -hmm. I, I think that um, that was then and this is now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and uh, but he might come out of the woodwork on something. You just never know. I just I've always thought, and I said this a little in my podcast that you know when you put him together with other other singers in that general style, there's still no one who had the voice that he had, and how you can be so polished and yet so gritty and unique, and to put all this together. The, I, I mean, who, who really, who else did it the way he did it? You know, that was his grandmother. In what way? Well, she beat the daylights out of him. Oh, okay. You know, because old people, from what I understand, and I'm old. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> old people had a way of whipping you. Uh, everything was a switch, and they were funny too. And they were funny too. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Look, look at Richard Pryor, you know. Oh, Richard I see Pryor. what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. They were funny with it, you know. Yeah. The men were heavy handed on the boys and the girls got a free ride. They don't don't you dare time. hit me. Don't you dare hit me. Oh, OK. What are you talking about? He'll yeah. beat you. He'll, he'll, he'll tear your ass up. But don't you dare hit me. And she walks around like like she's. Prima Donna. Well, that's that's uh, how it works. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, but uh, so you think how Lou Rawls was brought up is what kind of brought that into his music? Yeah, part of it. Uh, he brought that 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 happened, and uh, you know, Lou used to be really skinny. He used to be really really skinny. You don't know it now. I mean, by the way he looked then, but he. <laughs> <laughs> but you know. Yeah, but but really, he loved his grandmother. He was raised up by her, and uh, he got a chance. Sam Cook got him a chance. Now, some people say Sam didn't get him a chance, but Sam went to Capitol first, and Lou went afterwards. And I, I know some people say that, oh, well, he was all his own man and, and blah, 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 blah. Well, that's conjecture. Hmm. Okay. It did, it, I put it this way: It didn't hurt for Sam Cook to go first and say, "Hey, I got my buddy in here. Come on in." Yeah. So you feel like he got his and kind of did, you know, the, the best he did with it, but didn't forget about 
you know, Lou Rawls, and he helped him through. Right, because he was singer uh, in the um, the uh, Pilgrim Travelers. Right, right. Also, Lou Rawls Jr., that was his godfather, Sam Cooke. Oh, my God, wow, okay. And then Shaka Khan was Lou Rawls' cousin. No way, I didn't know that. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Small world, jeez. So what do what what would you want? We're coming up to the end of the interview here. What would you want to leave people with as far as anything about you know your life or Lou Rawls that you want people to to be left with here at the end of this? Well, I'd like for Lou to be recognized for all of his thunder for as long as he can be, and for the Lou Rawls fan club to be be a fan club where he's recognized just for his music for the for you know he, he says that he he thinks that he had rap music because he was rapping uh music before they had it yeah but it was, it was like he had to keep people quiet so he would say something like you know my mother my grandmother boy she i tell you she used to whip my butt blah 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 and everything you get them listening to, and then they start singing. So, oh, yeah. 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 So that, I mean, just things like that. I wish I could see Lou Jr. doing some things. Yeah, it sounds like he needs, you know, to trust himself, because he, from what you're saying, he really has talent, and he should be seen by the world. Yeah. Uh, I don't know when he'll jump up and do it. I think it's one of those spur-of-the-moment things. Yeah, it might have to be. Don't think about it too much, you know. Just jump yeah. in. <laughs> if I if I had one thing to to say, and I'm here in Dallas, I would want a Lou Rawls type band because I think it's going to come back. I agree. And there's a lot of work that I have to do because you know my voice is even so I can still do it. Oh yeah. And uh, just really, just really, just I think that people have been. See, we're we're like 50 years or something over the registry. And I don't think blues and jazz were enough during that time, the 70s, 80s, because uh, disco was coming in about the 80s. Yeah. And I, I don't think, I think blues is like fine wine. It's that you just can't get enough. Yeah. And... And 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 it's it's a thing that people need to understand because it it lends itself to the dynamics of music even more so than some other music like blues and jazz. That's where I, it, I agree. Yeah, that's where it started. Yes, so much of everything started from from there. My son uh, takes Latin in school. And he talks about how the reason why he likes taking that is because that language, you can see it in every other language that came after it. And I feel like that's how the blues is, like every other kind of music that came after it. You can hear the blues somewhere in there. It's the original African music. Blues came in. You heard this. You heard that. That is the African knock. All music started off with, and then it went on. Wow. Oh, that's great. 
And when we came here, we had the same thing. It's humongous, but they got genres so they can corner it different places where you don't realize it, but it's, it's happening. It's been happening for way too long. Yeah, the, the, there's too much separating music like that hurts the music and it hurts everybody because they you might not listen to something you think, oh, it's called some genre and not realize that you can relate to it because the name doesn't make you think you can relate to it. But if you just listen to it, you realize that it's in there. And you're exactly right. I, I said I said that you were many times and I want people to know it that Music is not a genre. Music is music. And uh, it is what we have. If we're going to go to another planet, just, just say, if we go to another planet, music is going to be played. Genre is not going to be played. <laughs> genres are supposed to make sure that you get this little dollar here and you get that little dollar there. Mm-hmm. And and if you if you throw on your brakes, then you're wiped out. You know, and it's just like Michael Jackson said, I'm number one everywhere else, but <laughs> not number one here. Yeah. Yep. Yes. We so, have that problem here. It's true. So anyway, uh, thanks a lot for your show and thank you for what it means to the people. They're not really caught on to it yet because they don't understand that music is not a genre. They don't understand genre. Music is is music, and whatever people like, they like. And so you look, look at this. People like country western, because the first country western song was done by a black minister. Yes. You see? And so they're going to make that. What, what are they going to do with him? Right. The, one, the people that stole the music appropriated it, Mm-hmm. Did so at his at his loss. Absolutely. Yeah, over and over again. Yeah. So many people, so many artists don't get the credit they deserve. I think you're on to something like maybe one day, you know, somebody can do a song, create a song, and it makes big, big money, even if people don't want it to. And uh I yep. think I think that's that's somewhere down the line. But anyway, thank you. Thank you so much. And Appreciate you uh, doing the Blue Ross Fan Club. I'll I tell you what, if you go to facebook.com forward slash groups, G-R-O-U-P-S forward slash Lou Rawls fans. That I'll put that it. link in with the rest of the interview. I'll put the link down. So yeah. Click on it. You're doing a great job. Your Thank you. Pa- your Patreon uh, thing there. I think a lot of times people... You know, people are broke, but right. other people are not broke. Mm-hmm. And and so those people are find those people. One, yeah, those people are be the ones that, that light this fire under you and and get you going where you can do what you want to do. It's going to happen. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's it takes time. It takes diligence. You know, just keep keep at it until something clicks and it starts to grow. Yeah. You know, look at me. I've been I've been at it. Lural fan club for the seventies. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. See, right. It just takes yeah. time. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, all right. Thank you for being on this time. show. I really appreciate you taking the time with me. It's, it's fascinating. Everything's just so fascinating. And I'm glad we had a chance to talk about all this. And I hope everybody out there listens to what we said and checks out all of the links and 
you know, you were the guest, so they should go to the Reverb Nation page and, and hear you sing more than just the song that we heard at the beginning. In fact, I'm going to put one more song at the end of the interview here. We'll talk about which one later, but I want people to I want people to be left with not just everything we talked about and Lou Rawls and all of that and music is not a genre, but with your voice, because I think that the, that people deserve you. You deserve to be heard more, too. So thank you. For yeah, you know, uh, I'm just going to say this right now and uh, just get on this show and, and watch it every every uh, chance you get. Because it's really going to make a big difference now. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Nick. And thank you to everybody out there. Again, please, you know, uh, click all of the links and listen to all the music. And uh, this is Nick DiMatteo and Lon Dorsey. I will talk to you next week. Peace. Come fly with me. Let's fly. Let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. Come fly with me, let's float down to Peru. In Llama Land, there's a one-man band, and he'll toot his flute for you. Come fly with me, let's take off in the blue. Once I get you up there, where the air is rarefied, you'll just fly, starry eyes. Once I get you up there, I'll be holding you so near. Angels cheer because we're together Where the wine is such a lovely day Just say the words and we'll beat the birds down to Acapulco Bay It's perfect for a flying honeymoon They say, come fly with me It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. 
That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 